last week, uh, we started this series on giving and generosity. I'm, I'm kind of coming at it from a different perspective than I typically do, and it's been a couple of years since I've talked about this anyway. And, uh, you know, I mentioned to you last week, we're talking about contribution and capacity, that God is not going to require from you uh, more than you have the capacity to, to uh, do. He's not, he doesn't judge you based on what someone else has been given. He looks at you and says, I've given you this capacity. Now, what are you going to do with it? And so we're going to be looking today from a different angle, and that is the angle of sacrifice and supply. Now, we're using the Christmas story uh, to kind of use this as, as our scriptural foundation. Luke 2, chapter 21, uh, verse 21 to 24 the eighth day when it was time to circumcise a child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, the law says, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what it is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now today we're going to, we talked about that last week. Now today we're going to kind of piggyback on that with these next couple of verses or next couple of passages. In Matthew 2, after Jesus was born. Now here's where we're going to really mess with your nativity set. After Jesus was born. You know, when you have your nativity set, you've got, you've got Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus in there. And, and you have, and sometimes there's a halo around his head and, and stuff like that. And like, here's what I would say. If you have a halo around Jesus' head in that, in that feed trough, you need to take a Sharpie and kind of color that in. Because if, if he had a halo around his head at birth, then he's not fully man. He's not a real baby. How many of you ever had babies in your house? Okay. The anticipation up until the birth when they first hit the ground, here's this beautiful baby, and maybe in that moment there's a halo. But it's short-lived. And then for the next 18 to whenever, years, the halo's gone. The halo's gone. So if Jesus is fully God and fully man, he has to be fully man. So he doesn't have a halo at birth. So if you have a halo in your nativity set, you need to take it out of there. Okay? Now, here's the next piece of this. There's three wise men. They're shepherds. We see the shepherds there. Read the story, and we see there's three wise men at the stable or the cave really is what it was. I don't think so. The wise men were not at the birth of Jesus. So you need to take those three figurines with the camels and all the stuff, take them out of there because they're not a part of the nativity set. You say, well, now you're really messing with my traditional Christmas story. Well, yes, I am. Because it's after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Okay, they're in a different place, different city. Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, is it the same star that happened on his birth? Who knows? Maybe it was. Maybe it's taken these guys two years or so to get from where they were living to where Jesus is at present. Go down to verse 9 and following, and it talks about this. After they heard the king, they talked to Herod, and they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them. They stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Verse 11, on coming to the house... Not stable, not cave, not feed trough. After Jesus was born, they came to a house where Jesus was living with his mother, Mary, and his dad, Joseph. They bowed down, they opened their treasures, presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
and then goes into the whole deal. And, and after being warned in a dream not to go back here, they returned to their own country. And Joseph, when the wise men left, Joseph had a dream. In the dream, the angel of the Lord said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up in the night, took the mother and the child and went to Egypt and lived there until the death of Herod. So it fulfilled what the prophet of the Lord had said, out of Egypt I call my son. So we have this story unfolding now. To give you a little bit of backstory, Mary and Joseph are engaged. They're not married yet. Joseph is a very, very religious guy. The word in Hebrew is tasid, uh, which means um, righteous. He was one of these guys that he spent most of his time studying the law, but he had nothing. He had nothing. Um, even today, many people in that, in that segment of Jewish life, they don't even hold down jobs. They don't serve in the military. They don't hold down jobs. So they're very poor, very poor. And Mary is a young girl that Joseph has chosen as his bride-to-be. And in the process of all this, being engaged, the angel comes to Mary and says, hey, you're going to get pregnant. It's not going to be by Joseph. It's going to be by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have this child. His name's going to be Jesus. He's going to save the world from his sins. And so Mary has to tell Joseph, oh, hey, by the way, I'm pregnant. So now Joseph has this dilemma. And as the story goes, he decides he's just going to put her away privately and, and divorce her, not, not bring shame on her, going to divorce her, and, and uh, then go on with his religious, righteous life of poverty. And God speaks to him and says, no, don't do this. Because this is something that's very special. This is a holy moment that's taking place. And so Joseph decides not to. And so all this goes on. They decide to go ahead and get married, uh, but they haven't had any type of sexual relations or anything like that. The baby's born, and then comes the next layer of responsibility, and that is that Joseph, who is poor as Job's turkey, he didn't have two nickels to rub together, has now got to buy a sacrifice. And the law says you do a lamb. Well, if you don't have two nickels to rub together, you can't do a lamb. And so in the law, there's provisions for the poor to be able to participate at their level. And that is, they can do pigeons or doves. And so Mary and Joseph decided to do doves. Now, can you imagine what's going through Joseph's mind as he's walking from his house to the, to the, to the dove and pigeon place? To get two doves or two pigeons. I mean, this is, I mean, think about it. What, in your, if you were Joseph, what would you be thinking? I mean, you're walking down the road to go buy these doves or these pigeons at the dove and pigeon place. Doves are us, pigeons are us. I don't know, something. It's something like that. But you're thinking in your mind, now, wait a minute. This isn't even my kid. This isn't even my kid. Technically, this is your kid. And he thinks about, now, do you realize what you've put me through? I was a righteous person. Now I'm an embarrassment. Now the people that used to be my friends, because this has happened, they're no longer my friends. Because of this embarrassing situation that the woman that I chose to be my wife is pregnant by you. And now I've got to buy doves for your kid to sacrifice. And I don't have two nickels to rub together. This is what I've got to live with now. I've got to live with the fact that my wife is now known as, as a person who is, who is uh, loose in her morals. And my son, your son, actually, that I'm going to be raising is known all through Israel as illegitimate. 
And I've got, to be the, I've got to be the dad in this whole situation. And now you're asking me to fork out this. Now let's talk about the hotel at the birth. You didn't even make a reservation. Now you say, well, Phil, now you're making fun. No, I'm thinking from a human perspective, if we were asked, most of us guys in here, if we were asked to do this in 21st century America, we'd be having those conversations with God or we'd be going, uh-uh. I'm out of here. Angel show up. Angel or no angel, I'm not doing that. But yet, is Joseph thinking the same things that modern day men would think in these scenarios? Maybe. Who knows? But he's going on further in his thoughts. What about the tax debt? I've got to pay taxes on this kid. You know? I mean, I mean if it didn't happen on January the 1st, you know, it happened on December 25th. Not really, but we're going to use that as because we take, we celebrate Christmas. <laughs> so I've got, you know, he's only been in my family for like five, six days, but I've got to pay a whole year of taxes on him. All this stuff's going through Joseph's mind. We're saving for a wedding. Now I've got a kid. There's child support. Now I've got to pay for this offering. This isn't right, God. But here's the thing. We don't see any of that in Joseph's heart. We don't see any of that. When you understand that they chose the two doves, it gives you a beautiful picture of where they are in their socioeconomics. They are unbelievably poor. God's not requiring a lamb of them, which they could not afford if they wanted to. He literally is looking at their capacity and saying, I want you to commit, I want you to participate at the level that you can. We don't see the anger. We don't see the... the uh, the, the hesitation, all we see is this kind of attitude, let's just honor God because, hey, this is our Savior too. And heaven sees it. Two years later, by the way, it's about two years, I believe historically, when the wise men finally get to where Jesus is. So Jesus is like two years old. He's running around the house in his diaper thing. You know, being a two-year-old, you know, people, we, we tend to go, well, you know, we call them the terrible twos. Anybody remember those? Yeah. Wow. They don't stop, though. They just kind of like terrible everything, <laughs> you know, for all this time. But he's in the terrible twos, and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door, and, and uh, Joseph goes to the door, and he opens the door, and there's these three guys with camels and, and entourages and everything, and they go, we want to see the kid. And so, you know, he goes, Mary, Mary comes to the front door, there's these entourages and everything, and they come in, and they sit down, they bow at the feet of Jesus, and he's sitting there in his diaper, you know, eating a popsicle or something, and, and he doesn't know what's going on, and they're bowing at his feet, and they're opening all these chests, and he sees the shiny gold, and, and he sees the frankincense there, and he goes, that stinks, and then he looks at the myrrh, and he goes, I don't know what that is. I mean, basically, you know, it was embalming fluid what it was used for. So, you know, I and mean, it's kind of weird. Gold I can get, frankincense smells really good, myrrh, embalming fluid. Why would you give myrrh, embalming fluid to a kid? Now, some of you will make some spiritual thing about that, I promise you. I can't. I'm not there. I'm just looking at it going, it's embalming fluid. But yet they get these gifts. And the whole thing, and I don't know that Jesus recognizes any of this in that moment. But what I want you guys to see is this. That they were, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Joseph had to go through all this stuff. 
They do the sacrifice in Jerusalem. They're living in Jerusalem. The wise men come to Jerusalem, gives all these gifts, and they go, wow. But what I want you to see is they gave the sacrifice before God brought the supply. They gave two doves. They received the chest of gold. Now, some of you have already gone here, and that is, okay, I'll go get two doves and bring them next Sunday, and I'll stuff them in the bucket when it comes by, and then maybe some wise men will bring a bucket of gold by my house. That's not the point of this story. Here's the point of this story. After the wise men left, Angel, uh, Joseph has a dream, and the dream goes this way. You have to leave Jerusalem. You have to go to Egypt. Not only go there, but you've got to live there until the king dies. Now, if, if prior to the Magi coming, there would have been no way of doing that. If they had refused the sacrifice, would the gold have come? No. Notice the sacrifice took place before the supply. Now look, here's, here's something that you've got to get in your head. God never tells us how he's going to provide for us. If he had told them, hey, I'm going to give you some cash, and then you go to Egypt, none of that would have happened. But it didn't happen that way. They've got to move their life. They've got, uh, they got to uproot everything and go to Egypt and live. I don't know how many years it was. Don't really know. Doesn't really matter. I know this that they didn't have the money to give the sacrifice, but they found a way to give in their capacity. Because they gave, God supplied the need for the move. God always supplies when there's sacrifice. Always. If they had gotten the gold before the doves, it wouldn't have been a stretch. It wouldn't have been a stretch. If, they had, if the guys, if the, if the three wise men had shown up at the manger, then the sacrifice wouldn't have been a problem. Because they had a chest of gold. Hey, let's just step it up a bit. Let's go ahead and get the lamb. But that's not what happened. They gave the doves out of their poverty, out of their capacity at the time. And then God gave an additional supply. He brought the gold in later. As we work through this today, I want you to see a couple of things. If they had had the gold before the doves, it would not have been a stretch in their life. It wouldn't have been an act of faith. It wouldn't have been an act of faith. And Elijah, uh, in 1 Kings 17, he goes to the widow Zarephath, and, he, and she's there, and he says, would you bring me a, a, a little bit of water? Something, just, I'm thirsty, I need something to drink. It's been a long journey, I need something to drink. And she, and she goes, sure. And she turns to go get the water, and while she's, while he goes, he says, and, and hey, how about this? How about giving me, cooking me a little loaf of bread or something? And she stops in her tracks, and she turns around, and she goes to the man of God, the prophet, and she says, Dude, water's one thing, but a piece of cornbread's something entirely different. Because all I've got is a little bit of meal or flour and a little bit of oil in the house. And Elijah looks at her and he says, it's okay, if you'll do this, we'll take care of that other later. She doesn't hesitate. She goes in, and here's, here's her statement to him. 
I've got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. We're going to eat. We're going to make one last meal. And then my son and I are going to lay down and we're going to die because we, it's a drought. It's a, it, everything is in poverty. Uh, and so we're literally going to die because we have nothing else. We're so impoverished. It's going to be our last meal. And yet God said to her through Elijah, give me your last little bit of oil and your last little bit of flour. And she doesn't hesitate. So once again, just as we don't see, we don't see any, we don't see any attitude in Joseph, we don't see any hesitation in the in the widow of Zarephath. She does what God told her to do. She just she just goes and makes the cake. And she takes it to the man of God, and she gives it to the man of God. What was her capacity in that moment? A little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. That was her capacity. She gave everything that she had in her capacity. She actually said, I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And then the, but God said, no, 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 do this first. Do this first. Bring it to me. She did that. And then he said this. Now go make something for yourself. Well, I know the oil's gone and the flour's gone. But she goes back and she starts making. Another, there's more flour and there's more oil. The Bible tells us this. The, here's, the, here's the story. The jar of oil will not be used up and the jug of, or a jug of, jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. God says, give, and I will do this. But this has to come first. And many times when he gives, you don't know what's out there. You may have the last bit of flour and the last little bit of oil. You may not be able to afford the lamb for the sacrifice, so you have to settle and give in your capacity and give the two doves. And then somewhere in the process, God says, I want you to do this. And so where are you at? Are you going to hesitate or are you going to do what God's asking you to do? Are you going to step into the situation or are you going to step back and begin to complain about it? Mary and Joseph had to purchase the doves. That was a sacrifice in their life. The woman had to give the last bit of flour to the man of God. That was a sacrifice. Now, on the flip side, there are some gifts that are not a sacrifice. We saw the story last week uh, with Jesus standing there at the temple, and they're bringing these large gifts in, these basketfuls of money, and they're dropping them at the altar there in the temple. And, and, and Jesus is watching all of this. He knows what they're giving. He sees what they're giving, and they're giving out of their abundance. And then this little tiny widow woman, she comes walking in, and she has two little bitty coins worth about a penny combined, and she puts it in there. And Jesus gives her the attaboy because she's given out of her lack. She gave sacrificially, and God says to her, Jesus, in, in red in the New Testament, he said, she's given more than all these other individuals. Why? Because she gave sacrificially. Look, if you have a lot, and I don't know what you give, and I don't care what you give, I want you to look at your own self, and I want God to help you take a look at your capacity this morning. And I want you to ask yourself, are you giving comfortably, or are you giving sacrificially? And I know, I know, listen, I listen to it all the time. People know we're going to do a series on stewardship. People don't like coming to church. I get it. I get it. But the problem with it is this, that if we're going to live according to the whole counsel of God and we say that Jesus is Lord, then Jesus has got to be Lord of the checkbook as much as he's got to be a Lord, Lord of everything else in our life. 
He's got to be Lord of the bank account and the job. He's got to be Lord of everything and Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. And it's not about, oh, I can give this and get rich. We, th- we look at Mary and Joseph and go, oh, they got rich off of this. It doesn't say that. It said they had enough to go to take the journey. And when you read this, when you see more of, the, of, the, of Jesus' story as he's a grown man, you understand he's a carpenter's kid. He worked hard. He didn't have much. He didn't have much. So even though they had a chest of gold given to them, it was for a specific purpose, and that was to accomplish what God needed to accomplish, and that was to get the kid out of Israel into Egypt to save his life. But they wouldn't have had the chest if they hadn't given the doves. If we're giving comfortably, then we're only giving from a portion of our capacity. And it's not a stretch. What if God calls you to do more? What if God calls you to, to, to step into an area of generosity? There's a lot of people that teach this, and, and, and I, I, I think I agree with it. That generosity doesn't begin until after the tithe. You say, oh, well, now you're going to get this whole law thing about tithe. No, I'm not. Much. <laughs> because it's not about law. You say, well, tithing's an Old Testament principle. Old Testament and New Testament, it doesn't stop. The thread is there. The difference is in the Old Testament, if you didn't give, you were cursed. But with Jesus coming on the scene because of the cross, because of him hanging on the cross, he became a curse for us and he took away, he abolished the curse that was against his children. So it's not a curse anymore. But the truth of the matter is this, that he himself said we should continue to tithe. Even though the Pharisees said, I give this, he said you should continue to tithe, but don't forget about justice, mercy, and faith. Don't forget about taking care of the poor. Don't forget about being a compassionate person. Don't forget about being a loving person. The the requirements under grace is much more and much higher than the requirements under the law. So what does that mean for us? We give out of capacity. Our contribution is connected to our capacity. But then there are those times when God says, step into it a little bit deeper. Because I want to do something more for you. The widow's gift was sacrificial because it was her total capacity. David said this in 1 Chronicles 21. He's trying to buy a threshing floor for an altar to give a sacrifice. And the owner said, hey, I'm just going to give it to you, and I'll give you the, all the bulls and the, all this kind of stuff to do sacrifice to. And he said, well, no, 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 no. I will not offer anything to the Lord. That cost me nothing. I will not offer anything to the Lord. That cost me nothing. What are you giving at today? Where's your giving at this morning? God's provision is seen when there is a spirit of sacrifice or generosity, and then he begins to take care of supply. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 9, it's on the screen. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. What do we see? We see generosity as the outflow of love and gratitude. God has forgiven you of all of your sins. You don't have to go to a priest to get forgiveness anymore. You don't have to sacrifice a pigeon or a, or a dove or a goat or a lamb or anything. You simply come to the throne of grace and go, I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and it's done in an instant. And your station in life changes. Before that, you were doomed to an eternity in hell. Now you've got heaven on the horizon. Now you might have been a nobody at one point, but now you're a child of the king. Now you're more than an overcomer. Through Jesus Christ. 
Now you can get knocked down, but you're never knocked out. You might be in despair, but you're never, never, never dead. Okay, hear me. You say, well, this body's going to go. Yeah, it is, but guess what? When this body goes away, you just step into a new reality, and that's heaven. What's that worth? Next week, we're going to talk about price and privilege. Generosity is the outflow of love and gratitude for what God has done in our life. Do you understand that if he'd done nothing else, he forgave you of all your sins? Past, present, and future. Forgiven. Wiped away. Clean. Clean. Never, the Bible says, never to be remembered against you again. Yeah, but I remember. But you're not God. You're not God. It's about the size of the stretch. It's about the size of the stretch. Remember the two balloons last year, last, last week? Now, does God take it seriously when we don't give? Yes, he does. He takes it very seriously when we don't give. As a matter of fact, let's go back in the law, shall we? Malachi 3. Some of you went, yeah, I knew he was going to get there sooner or later. <laughs> Talks about robbing God. You know, God speaks this thing to him. Now, how, that, how, and all tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, the whole nation. Remember now, curse is gone in the New Testament. But the promises stay. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. How are we robbing God? How are we robbing God? Well, let's see, it's the tithes and offerings. Well, now listen, listen to me. I think the text means what it says, but I don't think it means what we think it says. Okay? So let me ask you a couple of questions here. We're talking about robbing God. And we've always said, oh, it's tithes and offerings. Robbing. We, if we don't give our tithes, we're robbing God. Okay. Does robbery occur if you don't have anything less than what you had before the robbery? Does robbery occur if you don't have anything less than what you had before the robbery took place. All right. Do you think God is saying that what is mine isn't mine anymore? I mean, if I can't have any less than anything, than everything ever, then a robbery, did, did a robbery occur? I don't think so. So here's, here's, here's Phil's paraphrase and here's Phil's understanding, and I think I can back it up. I don't think, I know I can back it up. Does a robbery occur if you don't have anything less than what you had before the robbery? Do you think God is saying that what is mine isn't mine anymore? And then third, if I cannot have less than everything ever, then did a robbery occur? I don't think so. You say, well, I, then I'm not going to tithe. Well, you're not robbing God of your tithes and offerings. Just because it's in your bank account doesn't mean it doesn't belong to God. Just because it's in your 401k doesn't mean it doesn't belong to God. Just because you put it in a boat or a house or a new truck or whatever doesn't mean that it doesn't belong to God. Everything belongs to God. So what did he say? If the robbery is about the tithe, withholding the tithe, then what did he really say? He said, test me. Verse 10. Test me in this. What? 
See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. What does store it mean? Capacity. Then he further says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. Says the Lord Almighty. Promise, promise, promise. The robbery is not holding, withholding the tithes. You can't take away from God what belongs to God. You can try, but it doesn't work that way. It belongs to God and it will be God's. Well, bless God, he's not taken out of my bank account. Okay, let me ask you a question. What if this happens? What if your air conditioner goes out? And you have to call an AC guy to come and fix your air conditioner. And he charges you what it costs to get an air conditioner fixed. And you pay him and write a check without blinking an eye because you want to be cool. It's hot. You pay him on Thursday. On Sunday, he goes to church. His church writes a check for his income that week, which includes your check that went to pay for your air conditioner. Boom, ties are paid. It belongs to God anyway. I'm telling you, that's how it works. But because you, you didn't give it and he gave it, guess what happens? He also gets the promise. He gets the promise. Here's the promise. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Capacity. Goes beyond preventing pests from devouring your crops. Vines in your fields will not drop their fruit. The robbery is you robbing God of the only thing you can keep from him. And that is the right to bless you like he wants to. That's the heart of God. It's not about cursing. Curse is, curse is dead. Curse is dead. You're robbing, you are robbing God of the ability to bless you and use you and expand you like he wants to. Because they gave the two turtle doves, God blessed Mary Joseph with gold, frankincense, frankincense and myrrh. I don't understand the myrrh, but he gave, they got it. Because she gave the last bit of flour and oil, God blessed the widow with enough flour and oil to live on it until the drought ended. Here's my question. Where are you in your faith and your finances this morning? Are you willing to step out and, give, give, uh, and see what God will do? Yes, we give from our capacity, but there's also sacrificial giving that moves into the area of generosity that allows God to supply beyond our wildest imaginations. Some of your sinners morning going, okay, we haven't taken the offering up yet. I'm going to give today, and I'm going, yes, you're going to give today. Yes, you're going to give today. You give every week. But God's calling some of us to do more. Now, here's the point I want you to understand. I know it's getting a little bit late, but we're going to be done here in about five minutes. When you start stepping out in sacrificial giving, stuff breaks. It just happens. When we started sacrificing 20-something years ago, 24 years ago, when this church as a whole, sitting in a board of directors meeting 24 years ago, I presented a plan for our missions giving for, the, for Generations United Church, then Niceville Assembly, to begin to tithe off of the giving that you give to the church. So not only are you tithing, but Generations tithes as well. Unanimously, the guy said, we're going to do this. So we, immediately, we started giving 10% right off the top to missions. To take care of our local benevolence, to take care of missions projects around our missionaries around the world, people in our own church that, that have need. For three months after we did that, our income went down. And you go, dude, 
You know, I mean, this is, this is kind of like doing Bible stuff here, and, you, and, then, and it's not supposed to work that way. We give, it's supposed to get better. But it doesn't, always. Some of you are going to start giving today, and you're going to go home, and it's going to be 986 degrees in your house <laughs> because your air conditioner stopped. And you're going to call Cliff and go, hey, I need to back out out of there. <laughs> Things break. Then some of us are going to go, well, things break. Well, that's just the enemy trying to, trying to hinder us. That's just the enemy trying to discourage me. Maybe not. Maybe it's God flipping the test to see if you're really committed. See, the only area we're given the freedom to test God is in the area of finances and giving. We can't test God anywhere else. But he can test us six ways to Sunday. I mean, he's God. He, he can do that. But maybe it's the Lord trying to see if we are literally living in an area of gratitude and trust in him. It kind of looks like this. We're going to start giving. We're going to give an offering here in just a few minutes. But if your hand doesn't shake when you write the check, or the amount that you text or you give online, if, you're, if, if it doesn't cause your heart to go, you know, a little bit, if it, doesn't, if, it doesn't, if it doesn't bring some, some amount of fear as you write that, then maybe you're not going big enough. Maybe you're not going big enough. A number of years ago, Kim and I do this every year. We, we know what we're giving. We know what we, we increase and do, the, do this different things. And when it got, we got close to her stepping out of full-time uh, work and everything and, and going into kind of a well, retirement from church work anyway. She still teaches piano, but, but um, we sit down and said, okay, we're going to be out X number of thousands of dollars out of our income every month and every year. Do we want to lower our giving by what your tithes and offerings would be on your income and your benefits and stuff like that? And we both prayed about it. We both came back with the same answer. No, we're not going to do that. So over the last four years, we've continued to tithe and give at the level that when we were both working full-time with full benefits, the way the church, we used to have a big benefit package. We don't have those because of the economics of the, of the whole area and all that kind of stuff. But we're still giving the way we gave a dozen years ago when we were at the height of our income. Now, let me tell you something. I'm not telling you that to say, oh, look at our pastor. He, he's a great guy. I'm telling you that because that's scary. When your income drops by tens of thousands of dollars every year, but yet you don't feel God saying to you, slack off here. And so you continue to obey God. Here's the deal. <coughs> we have not missed Kim's income. We have not missed the benefits that we used to receive. None of those things. Because God always honors sacrifice. You give, God brings in the supply. God always brings in the supply. If your hand doesn't shake when you write the check, you're probably not going big enough. There needs to be faith. Going big stretches us. Here's a question for you, and we're going to close. Are you scared to give, or does your giving scare you? 
Because if your giving scares you, then you might be given to what you're supposed to be given. If you're scared to give, then you're not walking in faith. If your giving scares you, then get ready because God's about to do something unbelievable in your life. I mean, you may get home today and there'll be three wise men on camels with chests in your front yard. <laughs> may not be camels, maybe horses. Could be a truck, I don't know. Or maybe you go to work this week and you get a promotion. Or maybe you get a new job offer. Or maybe you get an additional job offer that makes up the difference in what you've seen in your lack. Most of the time, it doesn't come in the form of a check in the mailbox or something like that. It comes with opportunities to earn more. And you step through that door. But yet, it's still God supplying from the sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11, this is, this is the full gamut of what we're talking about. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Let me hand me those two balloons. Somebody took my balloons last Sunday. So I had to blow up new balloons this Sunday. Or I didn't. Someone else did. Maybe this is your capacity. So you give it your capacity. But what if you give a little bit more and you stretch it into a sacrificial gift of generosity? If the Bible is true, then what he says is this. If you're generous in every way, I'll enlarge your territory. I'll enlarge your harvest. But you've got to start with what your capacity is. For some of you, sacrifice is going to be really getting out there. For some of us, sacrifice goes beyond a little bit here and a little bit there. But we all have capacity. And all God is saying is this. If you want to see me do something special in your life, spectacular in your life, then push the capacity. It's all about the stretch. If your hand doesn't shake when you, make, when you write the check, maybe you're not giving enough. God's promise is this. There's no longer a curse, but I will not remove my promise. And my promise is to open the windows and pour out on you blessings that you cannot contain. I want to enlarge your capacity. Let's stand all over the room.